everybody is afraid of something. I could sit down with each of you and have a personal conversation and come up with at least one, if not 30 things that you are afraid of. And I have my fears as well. Um, when I was a teenager, I was afraid of my dad. My dad was a hard man. My dad was brutally adept at destroying me with his words, as well as anybody in our family. Um, we used to go out to eat, and he would be so, because of his own fears, because of his own anger, horrible to the wait staff that I would like, like if I had to, I'd go up to them afterward, just hug them. Because he would just make them, like grown men and women, cry at the table if they didn't do exactly what he wanted. And I was afraid of my dad as much as I desired his attention and his love. I was afraid of getting it sometimes because you just never knew what kind of day he might have. In. And because I was afraid of my dad for those reasons, my mother too was afraid of my dad for those reasons. He's just a hard guy. He had some deep wounds that he didn't know how to address. And he took that out on us. And as a result of that fear, um, there was a lot of talk of divorce, so the potential of divorce when I was in high school, and I was afraid of that. And if they divorced, what, what does that mean for me? Where, where do I go? Who, who do I go with? What does that look like? And so I developed a deeper fear and really a root fear of like being alone, not having a, a mom or a dad or really just a, a parent relationship. That was a fear of mine growing up. And I didn't have Jesus and I didn't know the word and I did not have great um, Christian people around me to like encourage me, pray for me, etc. in the right direction. And so my answer was all that I was left with, my friends, their answer, well, let's just get high. Let's just get drunk. Let's augment reality. Let's hide from reality. Let's escape our reality because it, it stinks. We don't like it. And we'll just disappear for hours at a time and go and sit by the lake and drink Snapple and get stoned. That was our answer. As from 15 years old until 25, 26 years old, that was a daily, almost daily occurrence for me was just to go and get high or get drunk. So that was my best solution to dealing with the fear of being alone. Now my fear, and it, it led to anger. I get angry at my dad, angry at my parents, angry at my situation. And that led me to, as I talked about last week, hate my parents, hate my sister who seemed to get all the love anyway, which made me act on this desire to escape. And wh where did it lead me? It led me to the exact place that I didn't want to go in the first place. I was all by myself and alone. I'd be at my house. My mom would be there. My dad would be there. My sister would be there. My older brother and sister come And I was completely alone. I was hiding, and I was afraid, too, of getting caught smoking or drinking or whatever. So the thing I wanted to avoid that I was afraid of, being alone, through my behavior, my best idea, that's exactly where I ended up. But fear, as we talked about last week when we discussed anger, ultimately, at the end of the day, is just an emotion. And if you want to overcome your emotions, we gave four steps, which I'm not going to get too deep into this time, but you can go back and listen to last week's message on iTunes. Recognize that you have an enemy. There's a difference, don't you think, between being afraid and being, like, terrified. Um, being mad and being so full of fury that you, like, see white and you just want to hit and scream and yell. You have an enemy. And he takes your feelings, small or large, and he accents them. He augments them. He increases them. When you are out of control, 
angry, sad, or scared, you need to recognize that you're not alone in that moment, that the enemy is there, and he's just like, check this out, and sends us through the roof. Recognize you have an enemy when it comes to your emotions and being out of control. Use the tools that God has given us. Use the word. Use prayer. Use your community. Use your mind. Use God's word specifically, number three, to examine your heart. We don't know our own hearts. I don't know why I have the desires that I do all the time. I don't understand where this comes from or where that, why that exists. But this book has every answer to every question that I will ever ask in my life. And for you too. Use this book, which it describes itself. God described his own word when it says, this book, these words are living and active. And they're able, designed to cut between soul and spirit, feelings and emotions. Use this book to examine our heart. And then finally, we need to learn to see ourselves how God sees us. If I am petrified over here in the corner, sucking my thumb, I don't have to go far in the scriptures to see I'm a child of God. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm royalty. This isn't who I am. If I am so angry that I want to kill somebody, been there, all I have to do is open this word and just read basically anywhere to find out that's not the right way to go. That's only going to lead to more harm. That's not God's will for my life. I'm not a killer. All right. Those are four things that you guys can do to help overcome your emotions. Now, one of the greatest tools in affecting these steps to overcome our emotions is right up here. Listen to these scriptures. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is my life verse for this year. 2017, I sat down at the beginning of the year and said, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to work on for this year? This is the verse he gave me. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Who wouldn't want, who doesn't need some peace, perfect peace? If you need that in any area of your life, there's the recipe. God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. Who has control of what you think about? You and you alone. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Change the way you think. Is that a familiar one-liner for the student ministry? Is that not the mission statement of the 21 pilots to make people think, to change the way people think? Where'd they get that? Right here. Do not copy the behavior and customs of a world that says you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever feels good, and it's fine. It's not fine. It'll hurt you in the end. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world that says that, but let, allow God to transform you into a brand new person. Oh, people can't change. Yeah, they can. Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way that you think. Luke 10, 25 through 27, the big overarching question when it comes to thoughts. Teacher, asking Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus replied, well, what does the Bible say? You already know the answer. What does the Bible say? And the guy answers because he knew the word. 
The, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, with all your thoughts. Titus 1.15 just discovered this verse this past week in a way that like, like I'd never read it before. Just brand new to me. Everything is pure, good, lovely, to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds are corrupt. Do you see the connection right there? Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds are corrupted. Let's reduce it. Let's break it down. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure because they think about pure things. Nothing is pure to those whose hearts are not pure because they don't think about things that are pure. What you think determines what you feel. So I'm not saying your mind is greater than your heart, but your mind can affect it. Your mind can control it. If your heart, if your desires are full of just gross, icky stuff, and hey man, mine is too. What are you thinking about? What are you subjecting yourself to? What are you looking at? What are, what's going on up here? Because that's going to determine how you feel. God's not making you feel gross and invisible and broken and disgusting. We are, because we're choosing to think about it, to obsess over it, to consider, oh, it's true, it's real. What we think about determines how we feel. What happens? When you guys go watch a scary movie, you're sitting there in a movie theater, air conditioning, fuzzy seat, popcorn, friends around, and you're freaking out. You're terrified. You're horrified. You just jump in your seats when the stuff happens. But do you have anything to be afraid of? No, you're perfectly safe. Even when you're at home and you're like, there could be a demon clown in my closet. He's not in there. You're just watching a movie. You're thinking about it. And it affects how you feel. And you can just sit down in front of that stupid boob tube and scare the bejesus out of yourself. What happens when we play a violent video game? Well, we get excited about killing people, about headshots, and like mowing people down with chain guns. And I've been there. It's fun. But it ain't healthy. And it's not good. So we shouldn't get excited about the idea or numb to the idea of people just dying horrifically right in front of us. It should bother us. What about news coverage of terror attacks? I mean, I don't know those people. And the odds of us dying in a terror attack are less than, exponentially less than, the odds of anyone being attacked by a great white shark, which is like four people a year on the planet. And yet we're horrified of like, terror attacks because it's all over the news and our fear of getting blown up has translated for our entire nation to anger and that anger at this one people group and the people in that people group are this much we hate them Muslims are not evil bad people there are just happen to be some evil bad people that are Muslims just like there's some evil, bad people that claim to be Christians too. 
But we subject ourselves to this 24-7 vomitorium of Muslims, evil, Koran, and now the whole country is just like, just build a wall and hate them, and it's fine. It's not the answer. That's not God's answer. What about if you hear a rumor? A rumor that somebody's mad at you, that somebody said something about you. You don't know it's true. You don't know what really happened, but what do we do when we hear that rumor? We start plotting revenge. We start gossiping about them in return. We don't even know if what they said is what they said or if they said anything at all, but when we hear a rumor, it affects how we feel and we get mad and we get vengeful. What happens when we think that God's disappointed in us? You've thought that. What happens when you think when you start considering, man, God's disappointed in me. There's no coming back from this time. Well, we start to feel shame. And it dictates how we act. We don't go to church anymore. We stop reading our Bible because we think that God's upset and we're going to punish ourselves. When you are overcome with fear, anger, shame, or guilt, you and I need to use the gift and the tool of our minds. I'm going to tell you guys a story. Before last service, I'd never told this story in church before. Um, it's a powerful story. doesn't say a lot of great things about me. So here's my story. After I became a Christian in my late 20s, um, and, and God eventually rescued me in a profound, supernatural way from drug addiction and alcoholism, like he just took it away, no, no more desire for it. I started reading my Bible every day. I started going to church all the time. Like I lived up here. I, I started getting into small groups, leading small groups. Like I couldn't get enough because I'm like, I'm never going back there again. In about a year or two, maybe a year and a half into Justin being transformed into a new person, I get a call from one of my drinking buddies. Not one of my friends, but this guy, all we ever did was just drink and get high together. And he calls me out of the blue, and he's like, come hang out with me. And I knew, man, if I go over there, he's going to have stuff. And I had been very intentional on putting distance. But I just was like, you know, I'll go over there. I'll tell him about Jesus, right? So I go over to his house. And sure enough, there's all the stuff. And he's like, come on. It's not, I mean, it's natural. It grows in the wild. Like, it's no big deal. One more time, just for old time's sake. And I'm considering this. And I'm like, you know... I'm strong now. Like, I got Jesus in me. Um, I'm so far from those bad decisions I used to make on a daily basis. Like, what? One time isn't going to hurt. You need to remember, as I've talked to you guys about this subject before, that God had shown me this isn't just a physical addiction for you. This isn't just a bad decision for you. And really, I'd say that for most of you here, too. There's something spiritual behind you using a substance to escape your fear, your anger, your hate. And God had demonstrated to me there is a spirit, plural, spirits, that wants you to lose your life to drugs and alcohol. Justin, I rescued you from it. Leave it alone. Stay away from it. And I'm thinking of that, and I'm just like, no, I'll just get high. It's okay. So I did. You guys, the minute it hit my system, I, I freaked out. I've been high for a decade. Like, I know what it feels like on all its capacities. I freaked out. I was full immediately of terror, paranoia, horror. Like, I was so scared. It made no sense because I'm just hanging out in the living room with my buddy. And he lives in a house alone, and he doesn't have enough furniture for all the house. And so I know there's this back bedroom where there's nothing in there. And I said, Rob, 
I'm going to go to your back bedroom and close the door and do not come in because I cannot vouch for your safety. I am mortified right now. I am horrified right now. And I am, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going in there and I'm sorry, this is super weird and stupid, but leave me alone. And by the way, I know this is your house, but that room is mine until this goes away. And he's like, you're a freak. And I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely freaking out. And I went in that room and I closed the door behind me. And the minute I closed the door, all the feelings of horror and terror were manifested. It's like God pulled the curtain back and was just giving me enough time to get to a safe place for me to have the full-on freak out. I closed that door and I immediately saw demons of every size and shape in that room with like drool, like horrible, like worst thing you can imagine. They were in that house. They'd been in the other room, but as soon as I closed the door, I could literally see demons. And I was like, this is why I feel this demon of paranoia, demon of fear. And I was like off the charts scared. And I go over here in the corner of this room and I'm like this, and it's in the dark and there's just a little light coming through the window. And I'm, I'm, I'm picturing it right now. And they're just all right here. And they're scratching toward me but not hitting me. And they're snarling at me. And I'm like, it's only a matter of time. And I'm gonna, they're, gonna, they're literally going to kill me. I had my buddy Andy draw me a picture this weekend of what this story looked like. But that's what it looked like. He even drew me in like the right corner of the room. And there were so many more than that. And they were just dark and vicious and evil. And I had invited them into my life. I knew beyond knowing. I had no business at his house. I had no business picking up this sin issue that I had laid down. And if you know the story from the New Testament where it says, if you remove a demon, which is what God had done for me when he set me free from alcoholism, and then you go back to your sin, that demon's coming back with friends. And that's exactly what happened. And God was showing me that. And as I sat there, like counting the milliseconds before they just literally tore me apart and killed me, my mind, maybe the spirit in me, brought a scripture to my thoughts. I'm feeling terrified, but my mind brought a scripture to my thoughts. Here's what I thought of in that moment. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I thought, I remembered, I used my brain to consider and think about the truth that I'm a Christian. And even though I totally just do it a stupid thing, a blatant disobedience to my Savior and my Lord, God was reminding me, I was reminding myself by using my mind, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't as bad as it looks. And I look up and I'm like, no, it totally is as bad as it looks. And another scripture comes to mind. Because I, what I'm doing there is I'm questioning God's goodness. I'm thinking of a pure, true scripture and I'm questioning it. I'm challenging it. I'm saying, I'm not good enough for you to be with me right now. And the scripture that comes to mind is Romans, I think, 8. But it says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power, the powers of sin that lead to death. Okay, I'm freaking out, but God is saying is with me. I'm freaking out, but I'm remembering this passage that says, 
Don't condemn yourself because I'm not condemning you. And then a home run scripture just comes into my mind and I just cling to it and I declare it over myself. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirits that live in this world. The spirit of Jesus Christ that is in me because I confessed my faith to him and asked him to save me is greater than all of those and a thousand of their friends and I have nothing to fear. And, and, and just like a split second, like just seconds of being in that room, which I sat in for like two hours, I went from full-on freak out to perfect peace. I was smiling at those critters at some point, which I don't recommend. But I was like, they can't hurt me. God's not punishing me. He's showing me something. It was like wild dogs snapping at me ferociously, and yet they were on a leash. God had like drawn a circle around me, and it's like, you guys can come toward him, but only this far. They couldn't touch me because Jesus was protecting me, even in my disobedience, even in my utter failure to do the right thing when I knew it was right. He was still taking care of me, and he was still protecting me because I'm his son. I'm his kid. Jesus died to set me free, and you too. And it became a pinnacle moment of my faith which I even realized as I sat there watching these things. Here's what I realized and still cling to from that moment. I disobeyed God, and he still kept me safe. I disobeyed God, and he still loved me. Here's what I really realized. God is never going to be deterred from loving me based on my behavior, whether how bad or how good. Did you hear me say that? Some of you need to hear that. You cannot influence how God feels about you. His great love for you by how you behave. You will have bad days. You will stumble and fall. You will make stupid decisions. He will not, he cannot stop loving you, being with you, being for you. It was fear, the fear of being alone that originally led me into drugs. And it was that moment of love that would lead me out. When it finally passed, and I was able to stand up and walk out of that room. I walked out of that addiction with a new understanding of how much God loves me. That even when I fail, because I've been afraid of failing that whole year and a half I was sober. Even when I fail, God's got my back. Even when you fail, he's got your back. Now, did that mean that I just started smoking pot all the time because I'm like, hey, I can? No. I use this as a reminder and remind myself, I don't want that again. Because God might need to give me a stronger lesson next time. So I just stayed away from it from then on out. But if I had not used my mind to remind my feelings of truth, that would have been the most terrifying night of my life, and it would have led me to believe this. God has abandoned me, and I, I've messed up too much for him to ever take me back. But because of the truth, I knew, actually, it's the opposite. Even in the scariest situation in life, God is with me, he's for me, he loves me, he protects me. I had nothing to fear, even though I wanted to freak out and like kill my buddy. So, the battle, and it's a battle for every single one of your souls and mine, is being fought in your mind. The battle for your soul is taking place in your mind. God has given us the tool of the mind, but he has also given us a weapon to use in our minds. Ephesians chapter 6, 12 through 17. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits 
in the heavenlies. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, I'm after the battle, Justin here, you will be able to stand firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness for shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on, the sal- put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You got all these defensive pieces for the armor in one weapon, truth, God's word. We're in a battle, and this book is our only weapon, and we need to use it, or we're in trouble. One of my favorite authors is Eugene Peterson, and he wrote this little excerpt called Becoming an Expert in Praying the Psalms. We had a whole series on this two years ago. Become an expert in praying the Psalms. Really, become an expert in praying Scripture, praying the words on these pages. Here's what he says. In the business of being human, and we're all human, Tools are required. Every distinctive behavior requires tools. Learning, loving, cooking, building, believing. Some tools, they're made of wood. Some of metal. And some tools are made of words. The book for learning, pots for cooking, prayers for believing. All the sources of our actions, mind, Body, spirit are dependent on tools. And we all live well or badly by means of the tools that we have and how well we use them. If you wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature as a Christian, and to glorify God with your entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass Scripture. The Psalms are God's gift to train us in prayer. What does it look like to pray the Psalms? I have a video clip that will demonstrate it for you. Break and do your own shopping. Why are your socks inside out? Because socks are badly designed. The seams are on the inside of the toes. In some cultures, it's considered good luck to be wearing something inside out. And you believe that? No, but it's like praying. What do you risk? And I do go outside. How do you think those windows get cleaned? Now, about this professor of yours. How did it feel having him tell you what you can't do? Like he knew he was better than you. That might show what you can do. Why is it the words we write for ourselves are always so much better than the words we write for others? Move. Sit. Go ahead. Go ahead and what? Write. Punching those keys. Is that a problem? 
No, I'm just thinking. No. <laughs> no thinking. That comes later. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. The first key to writing is to write. Is there a chance you might sit down? A season of face perfection. What's this? Start typing that. Sometimes a simple rhythm of typing gets us from page one to page two. And when you begin to feel your own words, start typing them. That's praying the Psalms. You got this young man who's intimidated, who's got some self-doubt, who's got some fear, and he doesn't know how to start writing. And Connery's job is to teach him how to write. My job is to teach you how to pray. And there were some beautiful principles on prayer, on speaking truth from the word to how we feel, and then coming up with something amazing in that clip. Listen to this. It's like praying. What do you risk? That's principle number one. You have nothing to lose when you're feeling afraid or angry by praying. You have nothing to lose. So just pray. Just give it a shot. Just, if you can have the wherewithal to stop for two seconds and be like, you know what, I'm just going to pray real fast before I make a dumb decision. Had I not just acknowledged 
something but prayed with the knowledge that I had in the living room at Rob's house, I would have left. I would have stopped myself. I would have done something different. What do you risk by praying in a tough, tense moment? Nothing. So pray. Why is it the words that we write for ourselves are always so much better than the words we write for others? When it comes to pray, when it comes to you praying out loud especially, do not worry about the people on your left or right. Do not worry about how this person prays or that one. It's between you and an audience of one. When it comes to your prayer life, don't worry about what they do. You do what you do. The first key to writing is to write. The first key to praying is to pray. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't spend more time discussing what you need to pray about. Just pray. Start now. Just talk to God. Simple rhythm of typing helps to get you started. And when you begin to feel your own words, start typing them. The Psalms, the scriptures are just there to help us get started. Punch the keys. Punch the keys for God's sake. Pray like you mean it. God's not looking for, man, Lord, I just I don't really feel good. I don't really know what this is. Like, pray like there's something behind it, like there's something desperate in you that needs to be heard, that needs to hear an answer. So we're going to close our service by praying a psalm together. And this is just a model. This is a template. And yet, God will do something profound and powerful in it right now if you let him. But I want to show you how to pray a psalm, just a little bit of Psalm 23 most famous psalm in all the Bible. And we're going to do it just like David did when he's out in the wilderness. He'd pick up a pen and paper. So look under your chair, grab your pen and paper. And then he would write out his hopes and his fears, which is what you're going to do in just a second. And then in light of whatever he wrote, as far as his hopes and fears were concerned, he would remind himself of God's truth, whether affirming his hopes or banishing his fears. And by doing that simple act, and if you look at most of the Psalms, they're just a paragraph or four. They did not take long to write, but you could see how David's mood, his emotions would go from A all the way to B. By acknowledging, this is how I feel, God, what do you have to say about it? And then living it out, walking it out. So here's what we're going to do. In an attitude of prayer, we're going to write out our fears. We're going to write out our needs. We're going to tell God thanks for something and then we're going to praise him. It's that simple. I'm going to put up slides of Psalm 23, and I want you to write out what you actually see on the slide. So show me the first one. There it is. So you'll write out in just a second, even when I walk through the darkest valley, yada, yada, yada. And then at the end of the psalm, that line, add, as though it were part of the actual psalm, whatever your sin, fear, worry is that's on your heart. Short and simple and sweet. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to do this. We just have four slides and we're done. And you need to know God loves it when we pray his words back to him, when we make them our own. And there is something supernatural about processing a scripture and writing it out because it's literally passing through you. So know that this is a powerful moment. Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you and we want you to do some business in us as we take this step of faith and own these words in a way like never before. Speak through it to us and through us through Psalm 23. Right now, Lord, I ask simply, what fear, what worry do you want to address in me? Bring that 
to the forefront of my thoughts and help me lay it down. It's in your name I pray.